All right, Acts 26, um, the Apostle Paul is before King Agrippa. That's how the chapter opens up. And Agrippa 26.1 of the book of Acts says to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. Whenever you see the word defense in your Bible, it's likely the word apologia or apologia, where we get the idea of apologetics. You may have heard that word before. We have a school here at Living Truth called Truth Academy. And one of the focuses of that school is to train people in apologetics. That's a big word. It doesn't mean that we're apologizing for anything. It does mean that we are making a defense, a rational, reasoned defense for the historic Christian faith. The Apostle Paul was an apologist. That is, he went around the Roman world making a defense for the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he would go into towns and he would start in the synagogue since he was a Jewish man. He had grown up in the tribe of Benjamin. And he would go in and he would reason with the Jewish people. Just like we would come into a church setting and talk about the Lord, Paul would go into a synagogue setting and he would set the, uh, like an Old Testament prediction aside or by the side of a New Testament reality of Jesus, and he would compare the two and say, see, Jesus is the Christ. If you were to boil down Paul's ministry, that's pretty much what he did. He said to people, see, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And so your job and my job is to go around our world and say to people, see, Jesus is the Christ. He's the hope of the world. People need hope. And so Paul was on trial for uh, what he preached, and there were many people against him. And here's what he says. This is uh, verse 6. He says, Now I'm standing trial, 26.6 of Acts, for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews." Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Why do you think it's amazing if God raises the dead? Why do you oppose the preaching of the resurrection? You guys say you believe in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, he spoke it into existence by his mighty power. He calls the stars by name. He made the stars. He made the planets. He made the oceans. He made the fishes. Is that the right way to say fish? Or is it just singular fish? Anyway. He made everything. Why do you think it's a, incredible if he raises the dead too? Because he does. And he has. And he will. Amen. Amen? This is the hope that we have. Well, you guys are awake this morning. This is awesome. <laughs> now, Paul gets into his testimony in verse 12. He says, while thus, verse 12, engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, Paul was opposed to Christianity in his former life. He was its chief persecutor. At midday, O king, verse 13, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. Wow, that's got to be a very bright light shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Why do you keep fighting God? Well, Paul might say, but I'm a religious man. I'm doing what I'm doing for the purpose of religion. Yeah, Paul, but even your religion is fighting against God. God has brought forth the Messiah, and you must submit to him. And so he says, and I said, this is the next logical question. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Delivering you, verse 17, from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here's your mission. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, 
from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Consequently, King Agrippa, he says, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also uh, at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now keep in mind, Paul is before the king. And Paul did not back down to say what the heavenly vision he received was. And he folded in his testimony. And when you're sharing with people at work or at school or wherever you may be, it's a good idea to fold in your testimony. Your testimony, your personal conversion story is not the end all, but it is a nice bridge because you're not just spouting theology or doctrine to people or teaching to people. You're actually saying, this is what happened to me. Now, your testimony is not the sole thing that you give because there are people of other religions who have a testimony as well. So you ultimately have to uh, preach the truth of Jesus Christ. One more scripture before we jump into the origins of the holiday. 1 Peter 3, go all the way towards the back of your New Testament. I think many of you know this, but this was actually written to a suffering uh, church, and here's what it says. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set him apart as Lord. It's written to Christians, so it's something that a Christian has to do, is continually set Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart and the core of who you are. 1 Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being what? Always be ready to make a defense. There's our word, apologia, where we get apologetics. To everyone who asks you, if someone asks you, you need to be ready to do what? To give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with what? Gentleness and reverence or gentleness and respect. What you give defense to, what you speak to people, is the hope that's in you. You are an ambassador of hope. If you haven't thought of yourself that way, may I suggest to you, if you're a Christian this morning, that that's how you start thinking about your life. You're an ambassador of hope. The hope that you have within you, the hope of Jesus Christ, is what you want to preach to other people. And so you go around living out that hope, communicating that hope to people who, frankly, are largely hopeless. Now, not everybody you meet is walking around looking like they're hopeless, but at some point, life is going to hit you right between the eyes. And you're going to be asking questions about answers. Whether you live on the top of the hill and your bank account has big numbers or you live on the bottom of the hill and you have next to nothing, you're going to start asking some deep questions about life and its meaning and why I'm here. And does my life have any purpose? And what should I be living for? What should I be even willing to die for? And this is the message that Paul went around sharing, that God is light and that there is a hope for the world and his name is Jesus. Now, in light of that, let's talk a little bit about Halloween and uh, what it is and where it came from. In 1848, millions of Irish immigrants poured into America as a result of the potato famine. With this sudden influx, the holiday of Druidism found its new home on alien shores. Halloween, by the way, was not largely practiced in America until 1928. But because America, the United States, was a melting pot of immigrants, immigrants typically carried in their traditions. Some of those traditions may have been good, some of them not so good, they may have had Christian origins. Some of them may have had non-Christian origins. And so here's what happened. The holiday was embraced around 1928 in our country. Halloween is big business. It is currently a merchandising gold mine for stores. In fact, it is the most popular marketing event next to Christmas in our culture. Under the heading from Fortune.com, the frightening amount Americans spend on Halloween... It says Americans uh, like to splurge on Halloween, so much so that the total spending for the holiday this year is expected to be $8.4 billion. 
This is a $1.5 billion increase from 2015, according to the National Retail Federation's annual survey. Uh, the increase is partly due to the average of each family spending about $83 uh, per family. And this is a jump of about $8. Overall, Americans are slated to spend a whopping $3.1 billion on costumes, $2.5 billion on candy and decorations, and $390 million on greeting cards, according to this survey. Now, I'm hoping that most of the $2.5 billion spent on candy is Snickers bars. Because Snickers is really the only candy. Can I get a witness? Anybody agree? Okay, maybe not. <laughs> and so retailers are saying that people are now getting ready earlier and earlier for Halloween, usually a couple months before. You may have noticed in your neighborhood that more and more people are decorating their homes for Halloween. To further highlight Halloween's popularity, approximately 80% of Americans will decorate their homes for Christmas. Approximately 50% or more will decorate their homes for Halloween. Among adults, Halloween has become the third most popular party activity behind the Super Bowl and New Year's Eve. And so it is a big night. It's a, it's a night, whatever definition, whatever history, whatever background you have, usually people are doing something on this evening. It's also interesting, you may have heard this from Brad Dacus of the Pacific Justice Institute, that Christian holidays that celebrate the birth of Christ, his resurrection, have been virtually eliminated from the public school system. Only Halloween, with its themes of the occult, Satan, and witchcraft, is still allowed in public or most public school districts. So there, there is obviously a little bit of a problem when Christian holidays are being booted out, but an occult type of holiday is being celebrated. Travis Allen, who's writing for Grace to You, comments. He says, The question, how should Christians respond to Halloween? Is it irresponsible for parents to let their children trick-or-treat? What about Christians who refused any kind of celebration during the seasons? Are they, are during this season, are they overreacting? And this is based upon the question or the idea that there are extremes. What is the church to do with a holiday that has these kinds of origins? How should we respond as Christians? Is it full non-participation? Is, is it some middle ground? Is it okay to take your kids trick-or-treating? I'll tell you, my, my views have kind of morphed and changed a little bit over the years. When my kids were younger, I pretty much said, no costumes. Uh, we will we'll give out candy, but we'll, we'll let people come to our home. And when they come to our home, we'll give a gospel tract with the candy. Not a bad idea. Some, some Christians decided to even be more aggressive and go door to door, and they would offer people something, including a gospel tract. Not a bad idea. Maybe you get together with some Christians in your neighborhood, and you, uh, you can share the hope of the gospel. You can get into conversations, that kind of thing. And uh, I will tell you this, that I was asked to do an interview on KBRT, and uh, the host of the show we're asking my opinion about Halloween, and I said it has really changed a little bit. I've become a little bit less militant, I guess you'd say, in looking at how we can best respond. And my kids are saying, why did you wait so long, Dad? All, all we wanted to do was dress up like Superman. Come on. When I was a kid, um, my sister and I really enjoyed Halloween. It was something we looked forward to. And, of course, there was nothing connected to the occult, nothing to the dark stuff, no witchcraft. We just wanted to dress up like Batman and Superman and our heroes and jump around in costumes and, and get sugared out. That was, our, that was a dream day for us. Come on now. Dress up like your superhero and eat a bunch of candy and it's okay on that night. Woo! Yeah. Anyway. And so... We have to find, I think, as parents, grandparents, those who are wrestling with this idea of what we do on a night like this, uh, we have to find a place that we can find, say our conscience is going to be okay. Uh, same author I was quoting says, Christians should respond to Halloween with cautionary wisdom. 
Some people fear the activity of Satanists or pagan witches, but the actual incidence of Satanic-associated crime is very low. The real threat on Halloween is from the social problems that attend sinful behavior, like drunk driving, pranksters and vandals, unsupervised children. Like any other day of the year, Christians should exercise caution as wise stewards of their possessions and protectors of their families. Christian young people should stay away from secular Halloween parties since those are breeding grounds for trouble. Christian parents can protect their children by keeping them well-supervised and restricting uh, treat consumption to those goodies received from trusted sources. I know, you know, those of you, and those of you who are kids in the room, one day you'll understand what your parents go through. We just want to make sure that if you're going to eat something, some candy, especially if it's a Snickers, we want to test it first. <laughs> we want to make sure it's okay. You've seen some of those commercials where, the, or the YouTube videos where the kid's all upset. He says, what happened to my Halloween candy? And mom or dad says, well, I have to confess this, son. I, I ate it. And you watch the kids react in different ways. Have you guys seen these videos? And some of the kids just go crazy. How could you do that? You've destroyed my life. And other kids say, it's okay, mommy or daddy. I forgive you. Anyway, it's a true test of your spirituality. Indeed. It's almost like, when you come to church when the Dodgers are playing, it's a true test of your spirituality. I was here Wednesday night, or yeah, was it Wednesday night? Yeah. Dodgers were playing. So a lot of spiritual people in the room that night. Anyway. Now, it is true that there are themes of Halloween that uh, are from the morbidly supernatural, but they've been pretty much sanitized for popular consumption. So Christians should not respond to Halloween like superstitious pagans do because greater is he that is in us than what? He that is in the world. Amen. So we don't have to freak out. I was telling uh, the group recently, we were going through the Mark of the Beast, and I said, look, if, if your food totals up to $6.66, be calm, don't freak out. Don't say, I have to buy some gum and get it off that number. It's all right. Look, there's a specific meaning to that, and it doesn't have to do with if your food totaled $6.66, okay? Christians need to calm down and understand that our God is on the throne. Amen. Our God reigns. But there are pagans who are, and when I say a pagan, I'll define that in a second, who are, you know, they think that there's something special about this night, and this is a little bit of the history that we have to talk about. And so uh, we have to understand uh, the extremes and find that place where we can be wise and share the truth with people. One thing that we do know, and this is found in Deuteronomy, let's go over there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, is the children of Israel were warned not, warned not to embrace the ways of the pagan cultures let me go ahead and define the word pagan. The word pagan doesn't necessarily mean a person who's just secular or non-religious. A pagan, technically, is a person who believes in multiple gods or goddesses and who believes that those gods and goddesses are connected to nature and that it's often expressed in something called pantheism. Pantheism is all God, pan is all, theism means God, and they believe God is in everything. So they believe that God's in the trees, God's uh, perhaps in animals and so forth, in nature, and they see gods and goddesses in everything. So some years ago, I was helping a young man try to make the high school baseball team, and I was hitting him fly balls, and he was missing a lot of them because he hadn't played baseball for a long time. And there was a guy out in center field in the park, and he was doing some of this kind of stuff. <laughs> he was just doing some weird movements. So I was just kind of watching him and keeping an eye on him, and I had the kid out in center field. And so I, when we went to collect the baseballs, I said, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. 
And I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I just like to get in touch with nature. By the, I like to feel the energy around me. I said, well, I said, I'm a Christian. What do you think about Jesus? Oh, Jesus is pretty cool. Every now and then I like to go to church just to feel the energy in the building. <laughs> I'm serious. So I said, well, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about Jesus? And could you stop moving around like that for just a couple of minutes? Oh, Jesus is pretty cool. I like him. Yeah. I said, you know, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Oh, the movement stopped. Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's what Jesus said. And you just said you thought he's pretty cool. Well, he said, I'm the way to God. So what do you think about that? Well, the conversation quickly ended. We collected our baseballs, but here's what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to, just in the normal, everything, everyday things of life, to share the truth of Jesus. And sometimes we only have a brief moment of time. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 says, When you enter the land, Deuteronomy 18, 9, which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, something that the ancients did under a god called Molech, one who uses divination, we'll talk about that in a second, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell or a medium or spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is what? Detestable to the Lord. It seems like God has a pretty dim view of those kinds of things. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. If you want to know why the nations were driven out of the promised land, that's part of the reason right there. God drove them out because of what they did. Their religious practices were detestable to the Lord. You shall be blameless, 13, before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you... The Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Moses is pointing to Jesus from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. And so somewhere in the past, probably somewhere around 1,000 to even 100 B.C., there was a group called the Druids. The Druids were from the area of the British Isles, and they were kind of like the pagans or the New Agers of their day. And they got involved in what's called nature worship. And so they thought gods, goddesses were in everything, in the trees, in the animals. That's why a lot of those people who are in these areas are very environmentally uh, involved because they believe in, in protecting the environment. They're doing something to uh, help with uh, what they worship. And so they began to celebrate a holiday called, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, Samhain. But as you read a little bit more on, on this, they say it's pronounced Samhain, Samhain. And this is a night, and remember, this is what they believed. This is not what we believe. This is what they believed. They believed that the celebrations of the seasons were the most important thing. So when it moved from, for example, uh, into the winter season and the days got shorter and the trees were not producing crops and that kind of thing, at the change of the season, they would call it a festival, they believed that something spiritually happened. They believed that on that night of, they wouldn't call it Halloween, but on this night of October the 31st, kind of in that change into the winter season, the veil between the living and the dead was the thinnest. So they thought that this was the time of year that spirits could walk among the people. And uh, if a loved one who had passed on, you know, had died, they could revisit their homes and that kind of thing. And this is where some of the stories of ghosts come from. So just so you understand, this is not what we believe, this is what they believe. And they believe that on this night, ghosts could be especially active. So some of you have seen movies and stuff, and maybe you've participated in this where people tell ghost stories, right? And they put the flashlight in their face on a dark night many moons ago. There was a dog, <laughs> you know, and whatever. Anyway, 
Thank you for the background <laughs> sound there, by the way. And so people say, oh, that was a spooky story. Spooky, right? And I'm spooked out. And, and some people like that kind of stuff. They like to get kind of spooked out. I don't recommend that. I don't see really what's great about it. I guess if you could say that you know it's fantasy, if you know, for example, if you watch a movie and you know it's in the fantasy realm, then okay, that's one thing. But we know horror movies and that kind of thing have been big in our culture, and so we, we need to be careful with that. So in the history of this holiday practiced by the Druids, the church did something. And the church, throughout its history, right, wrong, or indifferent, here's what the church would do. The church would look at a pagan holiday on the calendar and try to put a Christian remembrance on the date of that holiday to basically take it on or confront it. So here's what happened in A.D. 835. Pope Gregory IV designated November 1st as All Saints Day. What's All Saints Day? All Saints Day is a holiday on the Christian calendar that remembers faithful saints of old who lived and died for the gospel. So on November the 1st, they would remember those who had went before us, like the Apostle Paul and like other faithful Christians. And there would be a day to celebrate their lives. The night before All Saints Day was called All Hallows Evening. It was the evening before. We have a holiday called Christmas, and we have Christmas Eve. Many of you enjoy going to Christmas Eve services. It's become a holy night for many of you. Why? Because it anticipates Christmas Day. We'll put the dating aside for a second and just say, that's a special night for a lot of us as believers. Why? Because the next day we remember the birth of our Savior, right? Well, the day before All Saints Day on November 1st was October 31st. And it was called by the church All Hallows Evening. The word hallow, think about it, is holy. Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, pray this way, hallowed be your name, right? So there's nothing wrong with hallowed. That's a good thing. It means holy. And so Halloween is a shortened version of All Hallows Evening. Some of the letters were just kind of taken away and the word was scrunched into Halloween. And so Halloween technically is a Christian alternative to a pagan holiday, All Hallows Evening. But would you know that if I asked you, if I did a survey right now, most of you wouldn't know that that was the history. But what you do need to know is that there was no fixed date for All Saints Day for a lot of the history of the church, is my understanding. So it was placed on this day, and it was really the initial Halloween alternative was set back in AD 835. So some people may say, should churches have Halloween alternatives? Well, the church has been practicing it for quite a long time. And in fact, there's, there's a little bit of debate now, but even our celebration of Christmas and the date of Christmas takes on a pagan holiday. And so here's what the church did. The church wasn't living and dying with dates so much. It was just saying, look, if the pagan world is going to be superstitious and weird and freaked out on this night, we'll do something Christian on this night as an alternative to glorify God and point people to the gospel. Amen? So this is what the church did. Now, here's what the problem was, though. Oftentimes when the church did something like that, the pagan elements of the holiday in paganism mixed with Christian elements sometimes produced not-so-Christian results. Sometimes the two blended together, and it wasn't necessarily a healthy blending. Travis Allen again comments. He says, new converts found these holidays to be a stumbling block to their faith, so new believers, to deal with the problem, the organized church would directly challenge a pagan holiday. The intent was to counter the pagan influences and provide a Christian alternative. But most often, the church only succeeded in Christianizing a pagan ritual. The ritual was still pagan, but mixed with Christian symbolism. That's what happened to All Saints' Eve. It was the original Halloween, Halloween alternative, close quote. So sometimes we all, and it's unbelievable, but here we are coming on the Christmas season again. And you drive through your neighborhood, 
you're getting close to Christmas and look around a little bit. What do you see? How many manger scenes do you see? Oh, there's a lot of Frosties. There's a lot of reindeer that move in a cool way. Look like they're eating something, right? There's Santa coming down the roof. You know, he's on skis, right? Hey, we all enjoy going to see the lights. By the way, I drive people crazy around the church. I will admit it. I love the lights of Christmas. I like to see the lights. I like to put lights on the church. And the team says, oh, Pastor Michael, please keep it to a minimum this year. I like to raise the bar every year. Let's do 2,000 lights on the church. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why? So we can be the light of the world. And so All Saints Day and All Hallows Evening became a challenge to an ancient Druid holiday. So some of the symbols that you see around you on this holiday, you'll see imagery of death, skeletons, skulls, black, all of this stuff ties to their thought that the veil was the thinnest on this night. And so they thought that somehow if there was a chance to communicate with those who had moved on, those who had died, it would be on this night. And there are some people who apparently still think that today. Do we believe they're right? No. No, we, d- we don't believe they're right. But we will say this. 1 Peter 5.8 says, The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to what? Devour. It doesn't say only on October 31st or only in a magnified way on October 31st. No. No, we know that we're in a spiritual battle, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. So if you're a recent convert to Christianity, and maybe you have some of this stuff, you know, in your background, I understand um, how this might trouble you in terms of, you know, how Christians may or may not participate. But here's what you need to know. You've been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of God's beloved son. You don't have to fear anything anymore, including death itself. The only fear that the culture should have, if you want to talk about a healthy fear, is to fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you don't know him, then get to know him. We should be preaching that. That's a healthy fear. I'm not saying go go around and say to people, fear the Lord. Right? But I am saying to people, I'm saying that you should preach the gospel in truth to people. The ancient Druids believed that this night was the time of no time. And they believed that the spirits would go around and maybe even harass people. We don't believe this. This is what they believed. I just want to qualify. So you had to treat them so they wouldn't trick you. So if a spirit was coming by your house, I don't know what this would look like, you had to put Snickers bars out on the porch so that they would be happy with you. And if you didn't treat them, they could trick you. This is where trick or treat comes from. So when we, you know, ring a doorbell if you take your kids trick-or-treating, and you say trick-or-treat, this is kind of, this is connected to the ancient idea that spirits had to be treated or they would trick you. And so people thought that the spirits could show up in different forms, even grotesque kind of forms. And so if you didn't treat them, they might trick you. So if you put a costume on, they might think you're one of them and leave you alone. So if you put a weird-looking costume on, they might just say, how are you doing? Just think you're another spirit. Hopefully you wouldn't have to have a conversation with them. You just high-five them as they float by, you know. I'm doing all right. I don't know how spirits talk, but yeah. What do you think of the Dodgers? You know? <laughs> we don't believe this. That's what they believed. Everybody understand? Yeah. We don't believe this. That's what they believed. So they would sometimes dress up to think that they would be protected from evil on this night. Or they would leave food out on the porch. Or they would do things like make huge bonfires because fires were supposed to uh, scare the spirits away. 
So if you made a big enough fire, no spirits or spooks would mess with you. This is what they believed. And so people did all these different things and they got involved in these practices and they largely did them, please hear me well, out of fear. Fear of what? Well, as a Christian, you don't need to live in fear, right? Jesus Christ has removed even the fear of death. He's conquered the devil. He made an open spectacle of principalities and powers triumphing over them through the cross. So you can be at peace. You can breathe easy. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're protected by the power of God. Your place is reserved in heaven. All of those things belong to you as a Christian. One of the greatest things that you can do as a Christian is understand your identity in Jesus. Once you understand who you are in Jesus, you don't have to freak out about what other people freak out about. You don't, because you have a hope in you, and that hope is the anchor of your soul. So this is what would happen with this festival of ignorant superstitions and fears. People would do silly things. They would get involved in silly things, all because of fear. So Christian converts found family and cultural influence hard to withstand. They were tempted to rejoin the pagan festivals, especially Samhain or Samhain. Thus, the response of the church in the ninth century with this celebration of All Saints Day. Sometimes what happens is you become a Christian, but the culture around you begins to pull you back. And there's, there's different ways that this happens to all of us, but we begin to look at the the old life and the old ways, and we can find we're getting pulled back into it. And so that's where, as Christians, we, we need to be wise about knowing who we are in Jesus. Those who practice divination, as mentioned in Deuteronomy 18, were somehow trying to get in touch with the other world or the spirit world. But God said in many passages in Old and New Testament, I don't want you to go there. Don't mess with that stuff. So some of you who are a little older and teenagers, I think maybe especially, you may have friends who try to pull you into stupid things. Can I just tell you now? Don't do it. Don't go there. There's no reason. You already have the best that there can be. So don't, don't go for cheap substitutes. Once you've had a double-double with grilled onions, why eat any other cheeseburger? Can I get a witness? Anybody? All right. <laughs> now, the ceremony of Halloween underwent an infusion of other pagan influences when the Celt homeland or the Celt homeland was absorbed by the Roman Empire. While Rome allowed the Druid priests to continue all their ceremonies except uh, different sacrifices that they were involved in, new rituals of Roman origins were also incorporated. Chief among them was the worship of a goddess named Pomona, not the city of Pomona, by the way. She was the goddess of the harvest. Representing bounty and fertility, Pomona was shown in art as sitting on a great basket of fruits and flowers and a horn of plenty at her feet. Apples were the sacred fruit of the goddess. Many games of divination involving apples entered into Samhain or Samhain through her influence. One of the most popular modern-day expressions of this is bobbing for apples. And so you say, what? Yeah, well, of course, if you've ever done it before, I'm sure you weren't doing it involved in the worship of the goddess of Pomona. But, but this is where it comes from. People would cut apple slices and see which way they fell and think that it had some premonition of the future. It's interesting, I was driving down Hamner Avenue and uh, I think I was with Pastor John, and it was kind of interesting. There was a, uh, there's Calvary Chapel Norco right there on Hamner, and I don't remember the cross street. And there's a psychic right in front of Calvary Chapel Norco. And you're like, Wait, what? what's going on? Well, what's the deal with this? Why, why would someone go to a psychic? Because they want to know information about what? Their future. And so they might go to a psychic and try to 
get a reading for what? Well, am I going to meet somebody tall, dark, and handsome? Is this going to happen? And some people are really desperate, and some people are fearful. But as a Christian, you are not to go there. You already have 66 books of your Bible. Let me just recommend that you read these first before you worry about anything else. How much of this have you gotten through? You know, our, our culture is telling us, oh, go do this, or try that, check this out. Look, those people, they don't have a clue. And if anything is happening that has any truth to it, like they came up with something that may be true of your life, the source is not God. So don't mess with it. Don't mess with anything dark. And don't even walk the edge. There's no reason to do so. And so um, these are the, the, this is the, some of the history of the holiday and how people were fascinated with it and how people sometimes get fascinated with it today. All right. Some of the Halloween traditions quickly as we wind down. A jack-o'-lantern, which seems to be the universal symbol of Halloween that's behind me, comes from a legend about an Irish drunk uh, named Irish or Stingy Jack. The origin of jack-o'-lanterns were potatoes or turnips carved and illuminated by Irish children and used to light Halloween gatherings. The candle inside the pumpkin they thought was of magical importance. The candle flame represents not only the element of fire, but also the white light of pure spirit. This is what they say. It has become traditional among many pagans to mark the four quarters of the Samhain circle with jack-o'-lanterns. But it might also be in keeping with the season to light one white candle in a jack-o'-lantern placed in the window on, or on a front porch to beckon the spirits. And so this is just another thing that they did. I mentioned to you the colors, the costumes, the trick-or-treating, the dark clothing of witches, and even, you know, as the, the holiday kind of imbibes some Christian expressions or Christian beliefs, people even went door-to-door and thought maybe they could benefit dead loved ones who, who might be in purgatory. So as the, the church evolved over time and, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church was obviously very influential. And so in some expressions, even today, people will go door to door and they'll do treats and that kind of thing. Or they even call them soul cakes. But they'll do them for the purposes of trying to move loved ones out of purgatory. Well, purgatory is not even in the Bible. It's not a biblical concept. And the idea is that if you uh, die, there could be some middle place. Instead of being with the Lord or being under judgment, maybe there's a middle place called purgatory. But the Bible knows nothing of that. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be what? At home with the Lord. So that's what makes heaven heaven is where the Lord is. So with some help from this, this article that I've been quoting for you, let me just make some suggestions as we wind down. First, Christians should not respond to Halloween like superstitious pagans. I'm quoting. Pagans are superstitious. Christians are enlightened by the truth of God's word. Evil spirits are no more active and sinister on Halloween than they are on any other day of the year. In fact, any day is a good day for Satan to prowl about, seeking whom he may devour. Remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God has forever disarmed principalities and powers, triumphing over them through the cross. Don't respond like superstitious pagans respond. Don't do it. You don't have to. Number two. Christians should respond to Halloween with, with cautionary wisdom. I already quoted this before, but just be wise. Don't go somewhere or do something that is going to in any way violate your conscience or your Christian values. Go somewhere that's safe. Right here, we will do a harvest fest, and I guarantee you there will be people here that are non-Christians. You know why they come here? Because it's a safe environment. They'll come here. Many people will be unchurched who come here on Tuesday night. We'll have hundreds and hundreds of people. And they'll come here for the safety. And they'll be exposed to you and to me. And we'll have a chance to love them and show them the love of Christ and the truth of Christ. Let's exploit those opportunities. Let's be a light in the darkness. Okay? Now, I will say this. There was a video going around. It came out. I think the origins was, it were from a Calvary Chapel some years ago. 
And there was a gentleman on that video who had had a very negative, dark experience with Halloween. And he, in his testimony, said, I will have nothing to do with this holiday. I would say to that gentleman, if that's your conscience, then that's what you should do. But here's a key chapter, and I don't have time to uh, go through it this morning, but I would encourage you to, this week, read Romans 14. Write this down and read it. Romans 14 basically makes the argument that Christians should stop judging one another when it comes to matters of opinion. This is the essence of the chapter about what people, what days they worship on, what they eat, what they drink, what they wear, food choices, etc. And Paul basically says, before their Lord, they're going to stand or fall, and stand they will because they're a Christian. So on debatable matters of opinion, grace needs to go in both directions. Please hear me well. If a Christian has a a passionate mindset, I want nothing to do with this, I'm just going to turn my lights down, ignore the door, go to a restaurant, have nothing to do with it. If that's your conscience, that's what you should do. But judgment should not come from Christians who are saying, no, we're supposed to be handing out gospel tracts, man, and doing a Christian or a alternative to Halloween, man. Get with it. Stop it. Don't, we're not to be in judgment of that person. If they had a dark experience with that holiday, then just let them before the Lord. That's their conscience. But we also shouldn't look sideways at Christians who take their kids to Christian alternative celebrations or even go door to door in a Superman costume. We need to chill out. They're not practicing the ancient festival of Druidism and Awen. They're dressed as Superman getting candy. Okay? The holiday has become largely secular. We all know that. Most Americans have no clue of anything I've told you this morning. All they know is this is something that we do in America. We have a party or we dress up. And so we got to be careful that grace goes in both directions. That we don't say, oh, you let your kid dress up as Batman. Right? we got to be careful that... Grace goes in both directions. It, I believe that this is really a matter of conscience. If you can just do what you do and, it's, and you're okay in your conscience, then so be it. Here's two things that Romans 14 teaches. One, you have a lot of grace, uh, liberties, freedom in Jesus Christ, okay? But number one, very important. You never use grace as an excuse for sin. Never. Number two, you never use grace or your freedoms in Christ as a stumbling block for others. Easy way to remember Romans 14. Here's the essence of it. Don't use your freedoms and liberties in Jesus Christ as an excuse to sin. Don't use your freedoms and liberties in Jesus Christ to stumble somebody else. Two important things. Not an excuse for sin, they're both S's, and not an excuse to stumble somebody else. Outside of that, your freedoms in Jesus Christ are wonderful, and it's okay. Some people are vegetarians who are Christians, and some people eat double-doubles. Some people don't eat candy. Other people eat sleeves of Snickers. Okay? It's not going to affect your standing before Jesus Christ. You are neither worse for the eating or better, spiritually speaking. Now, your body is a different discussion. Because if you regularly eat double-doubles and have Snickers for dessert, your body will manifest certain visual realities. But... Since we're talking about grace, we're not going to go there anymore. Other Christians will opt for Halloween alternatives, harvest festivals, Reformation festivals. Kids will dress up as farmers, Bible characters, Reformation heroes. Last year, there was even a guy walking around here in a Chewbacca outfit. Don't know what to make of him. Anyway, ask me about that later. <laughs> There's another option open to Christians. Limited, non-compromising participation in Halloween. There's nothing inherently evil about candy, costumes, trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. In fact, 
all of them can provide a unique gospel opportunity with your neighbors. Even handing out candy to neighborhood children, provided that you're not stingy and you don't keep all the Snickers for yourself, can improve your reputation among the kids. As long as the costumes are innocent and the behavior does not dishonor Christ, trick-or-treating can be used to further gospel interests. And again, I'm quoting, but I think this has been well said. Ultimately, Christian participation in Halloween is a matter of conscience before God. Whatever level of Halloween participation you choose, you must honor God by keeping yourself separate from the world and by showing mercy to those who are perishing. Halloween provides the Christian with the opportunity to accomplish both of those things in the gospel of Jesus. It's a message that is holy, set apart from the world. It's a message that is the very mercy of a forgiving God. What better time of year to share that message than on Halloween. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word. Some of these things, Lord, we can't specifically target a Bible passage with all of the intricacies, but we can say this. I I believe Romans 14 gives us a good balance, Lord. And I know that even Christian churches have gone too far with some, some things that they invite people to that are around the horrors of hell and that kind of thing that are not necessarily the best way to reach people. And so I'm praying for wisdom for the church, Lord. I'm praying that we can be a light. You know, we're supposed to be a light to the nations, a light to people around us. So help us with wisdom. Help us with not being quick to judge one another. Let us have a mature biblical perspective on things that we do or don't do. And let us give each other as much grace as we can, never using our liberties or grace as an excuse to sin or to stumble somebody else, but Lord, understanding that who we are in Jesus is based upon the finished work of Christ and our uh, decision to follow him and the grace and mercy of being born again by the work of your spirit. So we thank you for that. I pray your blessing upon every family that's here. Give them wisdom, Lord. Protect every family. Strengthen each family and each person that's here. And if you just keep your head and heart bowed for a second, if you don't know Jesus, if you feel like you've been walking in a fog of darkness, if, if maybe some of this is all too real for you in the superstitions and the darkness that is real, then my prayer for you right now is that you'll come to know Jesus. If you've not understood the gospel, that Jesus lived the perfect life for you, that he died on the cross and paid your sin debt in full, that he rose to defeat death, your greatest enemy, that he's alive today. If you haven't met him, if you don't know that salvation comes through from grace, God's grace through faith, it's not from you, it's from God. If you have not opened your heart to say, Jesus, I want to know you and follow you, do it today. It's simply just something like this. Lord Jesus, and I would encourage you, pray it right now. If you're not sure you're a Christian, pray right now. Lord Jesus, pray it out loud. Come into my life. I'm a sinner, but I thank you that you came to save me. You died on the cross for me. You rose from the dead. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. Please remove the burdens of my past. Lift the darkness and bring your light into my life. Change me from the inside out and help me to live for you and to walk in the finished work of Jesus and in the love of God and the truth of the scriptures. Lord, for those who are trying to articulate a prayer even in their heart, may you bless them, may you save them, may you touch them, may you transform them. And I pray that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Would you stand? Hey everybody, this is Pastor Michael. Welcome. I'm glad you're either watching the DVD or listening to the CD. And following this service, I'm talking about Halloween. I had some questions from some folks, and I just wanted to make sure that I had an opportunity to define some terms. And also wanted to let you know that this was a family Sunday in our fellowship, and so I was trying to do the PG version of a holiday that really does have some dark stuff connected to it. So let me just talk about a few terms. You heard me mention the occult. The occult is the idea of what is occluded. It's the idea where people in pagan superstition and and the occult practices literally try to go behind the veil 
to what is occluded, what cannot be seen in the obvious visible world. And people who mess with the occult try to go, as it were, behind the veil and try to get answers to questions about the past, the present, or future. They try to do that by means of what's called divination. That's the next term I want to make sure you understand. Divination comes from the idea of trying to divine something. So it's trying to get information about the past, present, or future by means of occult practices. This could be a crystal ball. It could be tarot cards. It could be a cauldron. It could be stuff like that. And there are people today involved with witchcraft and the like that do believe that October the 31st, when the veil is allegedly the thinnest between the living and the dead, that occult practices can be especially effective in light of what they believe about this period of time. Now, it's not what we believe, it's what they believe. I also wanted to mention that uh, there's some evidence that the holiday was actually practiced between October the 31st and November the 2nd. So it went on for three days. And, and this, is, this is some of the backdrop that's involved. I will say to you, too, with the Druids that I brought up in this message, the Druids were priests of, of the occult, and they actually were involved in very dark things. In fact, they were also involved in sacrifice and even human sacrifice. Now, I didn't bring that up because of the audience that we were dealing with uh, in this morning, but I will tell you this. They would often even try to divine past, present, or future by the way bodies fell when they were being executed and uh, dark things like this. So you've probably heard some stories that weird things can happen on Halloween, even maybe stories of, you know, animals being sacrificed and so forth, and maybe even human sacrifice. Some of these stories, if not uh, a major percentage, percentage of them, would be anecdotal. That is, there's no way to really verify whether they're factual. There's some evidence that some of this may have gone on. It's not something to freak out about, but it is something when you're considering um, this holiday that you understand. Paganism, I mentioned, is uh, belief in many gods and goddesses. Pantheism is believing that God is in everything, in the trees, and in, in uh, basically every part of the uh, manifest world, if you will, animals and the like. I didn't mention this during the message, but even a black cat, they believe, can have a familiar spirit. A broomstick is a phallic symbol, and a witch riding a, a broomstick you know, has those connotations. So a witch wearing black and doing uh, spells and potions and that kind of thing does tie into some of these belief systems. And there, there can be pluses and minuses to what one actually believes and what practices they get involved in based upon um, you know, their, their version, you could say, of witchcraft or Wicca and that kind of thing. Uh, also, I had mentioned that there was a story about Stingy Jack, and it's connected to this idea of a jack-o'-lantern. And here's how the story goes, and, and I'm just going to read it for you just to make sure you have it accurate. But it's actually, this is from The Facts on Halloween by John Ankerberg and John Weldon. And it says, um, the legend of Irish Jack explains the jack-o'-lantern. The legend goes this way. There was a stingy drunk named Jack who tricked the devil into climbing an apple tree. Um, to go up and get an apple, but then cut the sign of the cross into the trunk of the tree, uh, preventing the devil from coming down. Jack forced the devil to swear that he would never come after Jack's soul. The devil reluctantly agreed. Jack eventually died, but was turned away at the gates of heaven because of his drunkenness and, uh, during his lifetime and his selfishness as well. He was next sent to the devil, who also rejected him, keeping his promise. Since Jack had no place to go, he was condemned to wander the earth. As he was leaving hell, he happened to be eating a turnip. The devil threw a live coal at him. He put the coal inside the turnip and has since forever been roaming the earth in what is now known as a jack-o'-lantern in search of a place to rest. Eventually, a pumpkin replaced a turnip since it was much easier to symbolize the devil's coal inside of the pumpkin. So that's the jack-o'-lantern. I will say this to you. As I mentioned Romans 14, and I mentioned parents and grandparents and teenagers and children, and trying to figure out the best way to respond to such a holiday, I talked about Romans 14 and it being really a matter of conscience when it all comes down to it. We're not to judge one another. We're to love each other. But we're to try to follow our conscience, what we can do in faith, 
and hopefully to reach out to our community. Uh, this, this coming Halloween, we're going to have a harvest festival and we're going to reach out to some of our guests. And you may have been a guest who came on this very night and purchased this DVD or this CD. And we just want you to know that we love you, that Jesus loves you. He came into this world to die for you on the cross, to live the perfect life that you could not live, to die on the cross and to rise from the dead, to defeat death, to take fear away and to give you hope. And that's the hope that we really want you to understand, the hope of Jesus Christ. If you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Believe in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his triumphant resurrection. Repent from your sin. Even if you have a life involved in dark stuff and occult practices, and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. He will lead you all the way home, all the way to heaven. He'll give you new life. He'll give you hope. He'll forgive your sins and give you really the only hope that mankind can know. That is the hope of Jesus. If you have questions, reach out to us. Uh, you can contact us at the church office or through our website. Best way to reach out to us is go to livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. We just want to say we thank you for watching this presentation. God bless you. If you have any questions, reach out to us, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless you.